right? We've come into a Christian church, and we uniquely believe in Jesus Christ as the one and only Son of God. Amen? All right, I got five people saved here this morning. Jesus Christ is the one and only Son of God. All right, I got ten people saved this morning. We're working. We're going to be a mega church by the end of the sermon today, all right? We're growing in our faith today. We follow the example and the teachings and the life of Jesus Christ. And here's the most amazing thing to me, that Jesus Christ, who we believe is the fullness of God in human form, in flesh, I mean, incredible. No one's ever been like him. No one ever will be. Fully God, fully man. What did he do? He prayed. And he prayed a lot. He's the son of God. Why would he need to pray? Because he put himself into our shape, into our flesh, into our form. And while our spirit is contained in this body, we need to pray. Because prayer was the way that Jesus stayed connected to his father in heaven. Prayer was the thing that prepared him for everything that he was going to do. It says in the scriptures, in the gospel stories that his friends wrote about his life, that Jesus would often get up early in the morning and go off to a quiet place by himself to pray. And hopefully have a coffee and a breakfast sandwich, amen? Or is that just me? I don't know. He went up early in the morning, right, to go and find a place to pray. And, and often he would pray with his disciples and, and he would show them how to pray. You see, Jesus set that example for us because Jesus could not do any of the things he did unless he spent that time in prayer. Because it was his vital connection to God. Even more than that, Jesus said, I don't even say anything to you unless I hear it from the word of my Father. So he couldn't even teach anything unless he was in prayer. You see, when he separated himself, when he came down and took on human flesh, his connection with God wasn't like it was before. It was now a connection that was maintained and established through prayer. That was the only way during that time that he could hear the voice of God was by being in prayer with God. And he spoke the very words of God. It's as Pastor Moth shared with us yesterday. And those of you who didn't make it, I'm going to give you some nuggets of the prayer conference. He said, you want to follow somebody whose ear is in the mouth of God. And I love that. You want to follow someone whose ear is in the mouth of God. And Jesus' ear was in the mouth of God so that what he spoke were the words of his Father. He says, I say nothing to you except what I hear from my Father. What my Father tells me to say. So Jesus, the, the great things we see about him in the Gospels, the only way that he could do what he did on the earth, the only way he could teach what he taught was because he was connected to God in prayer. It was the essential connection of his life. It was of primary importance to him. He couldn't even make it through what he had to go through on the cross unless he was the night before in the garden in prayer. In prayer, in deep fellowship and connection with God because he needed that if he was going to get through anything. Oh, friends, are we so arrogant to think that we can do anything without being connected in God through prayer? Are we so disconnected that we think we can make it through one day on this earth without connecting to God in prayer Jesus said in our theme verse this year, I am the vine, you are the branches. You must abide in me. You must remain in me. You must stay connected to me. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He said, listen, there's greater things. There's a bigger reality. And I want to connect you to that. And the connection is through prayer. And it's so important to us. 
as Pastor Willie pointed out last night at our prayer conference. He said, it's interesting, of all the things the disciples could have asked Jesus to teach them about, they said, teach us how to pray. You know, like Pastor Willie, I would have been like, teach me how to raise the dead, okay? <laughs> teach me how to heal the lame. You know, teach me how to do that thing where you took fishes and bread and you multiply. Teach me that. But they never asked him to teach him about the miracles or those such things. They said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Because they saw that if they didn't have the source of that power, then they were never going to have that power. You see what I'm saying? And we want to walk in that power. We want to walk in the miracles. But we don't want to take the time to get connected first. Come on, are you with me? It's like not having the batteries in something. If you don't take time to charge your battery, what does your phone do for you? Nothing. It is dead. Can you imagine people walking around with a dead phone? Oh, some of you just got scared, hallelujah. Some of you just had a holy heart attack right here in this place. You thought, oh, pastor, do not say I have to go through a day with my phone being dead, right? Because when your phone is dead, what is all that you think about? I got to get some charging, right? I got to get some connection. I got to get my kids get so crazy. They'll come into my room and steal all my charging cords. And I don't know where they went because it is so important. And yet we go through life uncharged and disconnected. With no power, running on 3% of our spirituality, running on 4% of faith, thinking, oh, if I can just make it through, if I can just make it through, I hope I don't run out of patience. Oh, wow, that's just me. I hope I don't run out of patience before the end of this because I feel like I'm getting low when what if I just stopped <laughs> and said, Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. Every hour, I need you. Every hour I need you. And you know what's sad? Some people used to sing that song, every hour I need you. And now they're living on a charge they got 20 years ago from Jesus. I don't know. I don't know if I should say that. But some of us do. I do it. Sometimes I think about what God did last year, the year before, the year before that. And I'm like, am I living on that charge? Ain't no charge last that long. Tell you, my phone can't even make it through the day now, right? I don't know what Apple's doing. They're crazy. But my phone can't even make it all the way through the day sometimes anymore, right? But Jesus promises a constant, powerful connection through the Holy Spirit. Amen. To God, every minute of every day, every minute I need you, Jesus. Oh, every minute. So prayer is important to us. So Jesus gave this story to his disciples in Luke chapter 18, verses 1. Amen. Luke chapter 18, verses 1. He gave this story. It says, so that his disciples would know that they should always pray and never give up. Always pray and never give up. Each one of you that wants to follow Jesus Christ, you are a disciple, a disciplined learner. You need to know that Jesus wants you to always pray and to never give up. To always pray and to never give up. That's what believers do. I love what Pastor Mont said yesterday. I wrote it down. He said, believers believe. I'm like, of course. Believers believe, right? Believers believe. That's what you do. You believe, right? You believe in Jesus Christ, you know. Jesus Christ said if anyone receives him or believes in his name, he will give you the right to become children of God. You are a child of God through that promise of his word. So those of us who believe, we pray. And the very first thing that we do if we're not a believer, if we are lost, if we are disconnected, if we feel like an old flip phone that's in the trash somewhere, right, we feel so far away from what God is doing. Prayer is the first step, is it not, friends? You pray, Jesus Christ, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. 
be with you. And whew, that connection, that connection to God, the power of God, the Holy Spirit flows into you. So he told him this parable. He said, I'm telling you this parable because I want you to always pray and never give up. So Jesus told the story. Jesus loves stories. He told stories more than anything else. In fact, if you look at the way Jesus teaches, it's sometimes not very like the way we teach, is it? He told a lot of stories. He asked a lot of questions. And he didn't give a lot of answers. <laughs> You're like, thanks, Jesus. That's really good. But in his stories was the truth. In his stories, people could relate to what was going on, right? And he could try to take them to a deeper truth. So he said, imagine that you're in a town and there's this widow. The widow could be any age. She could be someone that's widowed because of a tragic death, young. Or she could be a widow that's older, had lived a full life. But she's a widow. And she's in need. And widows were vulnerable. And they were supposed to be protected by the law. God's law provided for the protection and the provision of widows. But there was a widow in this town, imagine. And she was having trouble with someone. And she couldn't get any justice. It probably had to do with some kind of money that she needed or something that was supposed to come to her. But anyhow, she had this issue. She had this court case. And she went before this judge and pleaded her case and said, listen, this person that's against me won't give me any justice. I'm calling on you, the judge, to give me justice. And then Jesus said, okay, now you got the widow. Imagine that this judge, he's kind of a, a cranky judge. He doesn't care about what other people think. He doesn't care what you think. He doesn't care what they think. He does whatever he wants. More than that, he don't even care what God thinks. He's one of them judges. <laughs> one of them judges, I don't care what God thinks. I don't care what anybody else thinks. So I'm not inclined to help you. I'm not inclined to answer your request because I don't care about God and I don't care about you. Do you see what the widow was up against? But she came every day. She came and she persisted. Nevertheless, she persisted. She came. She came and she kept bothering him and bothering him and kept bringing her case and bringing her case. And finally the judge says, this widow is wearing me out. He said, you know what, even though I don't care what other people think and I don't care what God thinks, I think I'm going to give this lady justice because she might come and beat me down. I mean, this woman is so persistent. I'm going to go ahead and do it. And then Jesus said, now, now listen, catch this. How much more will God answer your prayers? Because God is someone who does care about you and he does care about the world that he created and he does care about justice. And what he's trying to teach us is that don't give up when you're praying. Don't give up when you're praying. And we all do. We all give up. We all stop praying. One of the reasons we stop praying is we think nothing is happening, right? We think nothing is happening, so we stop praying because it doesn't seem to be working. Because we don't know what's going on, right? But if it mattered to you as much as it mattered to the widow, you wouldn't stop because you know that if you stopped, you might die. When you got that kind of desperation, you don't quit. You continue to pray. I love the anachronism from when I was a kid. Push. Pray until something happens. Pray until something happens. You got to keep praying sometimes because you don't always know what God is up to. You don't always know when God's going to answer. But you can be assured that God is going to answer you, right? God says in that parable that those who, Jesus said, those who seek the Lord, the Lord will answer them. And he will bring them justice quickly. But then Jesus ends the parable with this question. But when the Son of Man comes again, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find faith on the earth? You say you're a believer? You say you believe and yet you don't pray? Jesus says, uh-uh. If I'm going to find faith, I'm going to find people praying. 
If you're a believer who believes, I'm going to find you praying. If I don't find you praying, I don't, you don't have any faith, right? That's another reason we quit praying. Let's be honest. Let's be real, okay? Sometimes we try to have all kinds of fancy answers. Sometimes I stop praying because I stop having faith that God is going to answer. I stop having faith that it's even important to God. Maybe I stop having, maybe I start to doubt myself. I start to doubt even what I'm praying. And the doubts start creeping in. And I stop and I quit. And I give up because my lack of faith is being revealed in my lack of prayer. But when Jesus comes again to the earth, oh, I wish I had time to preach that. Oh, Lord. The Lord spoke to me and said, don't try to preach two sermons on your last Sunday here. Just try to preach one. But I don't think people understand Jesus is coming again. Can I get an amen from the saved saints? <laughs> Jesus is coming again. It's like Jesus came, he lived, he taught, he died, he was buried, he rose again to life, he ascended into heaven, sitteth at the right hand of God the Father, praying for us. Wow, did you catch that? Praying for you right now. And from then he shall come again. Nobody's talking about him coming again. You know why there's hope in coming again? Because it means the plan's not done yet. The story's not finished yet. That's why there's hope in him coming again. That's why I keep praying. Because even if I pray the same prayer for the rest of my life, I'm praying until Jesus comes again. As long as I have breath in this body, I'm going to pray until Jesus comes again. Because if I pray for the next 50, 60, 70 years, what is that to God? Who a day is like a thousand years, right? What is that? When I get into his glory, when he comes again, and I'm going to worry about, oh, I had to pray 50 years for something, God. God would be like, oh, really, tell me about it. Tell me about how long you prayed, right? Tell me about that. Because God says, I want you to. Because in that praying, you are growing strong. In that praying, you are getting closer to me. In that praying, you are establishing a connection that will give you power in this life. And in the world to come. Amen. You pray until something happens. Pray until something happens. And now I want to tell you there's a couple of things that can happen. Okay. And I want to give you an example from scripture. The apostle Paul who helped plant churches um, around the world right after the time of Jesus. In one of his letters he wrote and he told a story about himself. He said, listen, here's the situation. I have this thorn in my flesh. He said, it's like a messenger from Satan who's come to torment me. And I prayed three times for the Lord to take it away, and he did not take it away. So Paul was praying, right? Praying until something happened. Something was irritating him. Something was wrong in his life. It could have been physical. It could have been emotional. It could have been a person that was speaking against him. Everybody has their theories, right? But I believe the reason it's not specific is so that we understand the principle applies to anything you got going on in your life. Anything that's a thorn in your side, that's where the phrase comes from, in case some of you wanted to know that. Anytime you have that feeling, anytime there's like a messenger of Satan, ooh, and they came to work with you last week, and you're like, Lord, why did that person is in my work? They were a messenger of Satan, right? Anytime we have that adversity, anytime we have that, it could be a sickness, it could be an illness, it literally could be anything. Paul was a man who was single, who never got married. It could have had something to do with that. It could have had something to do with the fact that he wasn't married and didn't have a family. There was something in his life that he wanted God to take away. It was something that, that wasn't good in his life, but he prayed that God would take it away. God didn't take it away. Why did he pray three times? Why did he pray three times? Well, three is a, is a symbol of completion in the Bible. So it could be Paul's way of saying, I pray until I can pray no more. 
I prayed until the cycle was complete. I think he prayed three times because the third time is when God answered his prayer. You see, we won't always get what we're praying for, but we will get an answer. We will get a word from God. And he stopped praying because he heard God speak to him and say, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. You don't need to get rid of this because I'm giving you a grace that's more powerful than anything you've ever known. And my power is made perfect in your weakness. So did Paul get a word from the Lord? Yes, a specific word. Did he get power from God? Yes, more power than most of us will know in our lifetime. Did he get grace from God? Yes, grace that was sufficient and more than sufficient for anything and everything he was going through. Friends, when I say pray until something happens, pray until God speaks to you about what you're praying about. Or pray until it actually happens. Because that can happen too. Right? There's two choices, but something will happen. Either what you're praying for will come to pass, or God will speak to you. But don't give up before either of those things happen. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep praying because God says, listen, I'm not like the judge who doesn't care. I'm like the one who loves you. Have confidence that I hear you. That I hear you. That I love you. That I am doing this. You see, sometimes when we're praying, God has something bigger going on than what we're praying about. Let me say that again. Sometimes God has something bigger than what I'm praying about. Amen? And that we need to pray until God reveals that to us. When I was about 15 years old, I don't know how many of you can remember 15, but I kind of barely remember 15, right? I had a simple prayer. Lord, give me a girlfriend, please. Lord, give me a girlfriend. And then I was in youth group. Um, which was a great place to meet girlfriends. No, I didn't say that, did I? I went into youth group, and there was a girl there, and oh, man, she was, she was wonderful. And I said, so my prayer changed. Lord, let me have that girlfriend. <laughs> let, me, let me somehow have a relationship with this person. Lord, I really like this person. Lord, she's a Christian. Lord, she's really, you made her very well. I'll put it that way. I said, yes, Lord, you did a good job. You did a good job, and I'd really like that girlfriend, you know, if you don't mind. I kept praying, I kept praying. And then we were on this trip, Pastor Angel. And she started flirting with me. I was like, "Woo!" Because I had flirted before, but no one had flirted back yet. <laughs> so now someone was flirting back, and I thought the Lord must be answering my prayer right now. Because something is going on here, right? And, and, and there was this flirting, and there was this connection, and I was feeling confident in my prayers. And so at the end of this youth trip, I went to her, and I said, hey, did you want to go out, you know, be boyfriend and girlfriend? She said, no. I said, oh, God. I've been praying. I've been praying. You know, what's going on, God? Somebody knows exactly what I'm feeling right now in this place. I'm like, yes, what's happening? And then she came to me. Man, it was, she came to me, sat down. She said, listen, I want to talk with you. And we sat down together, and I can still picture the room we were sitting in to this day. And she said, I just want to share something with you. I really getting to know you. I really like you. I really feel confident in you as a friend. She started sharing with me about how last year uh, she had gotten pregnant and didn't want to. And how her parents had forced her to get an abortion because she wasn't sure if she wanted to. She was struggling. And she really wanted to be in a relationship, but she had a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. And she said, you're the first person that I feel safe enough to talk to about this. And in that moment, I realized that while I was praying for one thing, God had a greater thing in mind. God had something else in mind. I needed, I needed to keep praying until I got to that point. Until God spoke to me, right? He had something greater in mind. 
hallelujah, on so many levels. Because then when I met Jennifer, I started praying she'd be my wife. I upped my prayers. I said, not a girlfriend. I said, Lord, I'm going to pray that she would be my wife. And I was going to pray. And you all know God must have done some kind of work in her heart because <laughs> that prayer came to pass, you know. <laughs> Prayed until something happened, right? You pray until something happens. Sometimes it comes to pass and it's right time. Sometimes it doesn't and you get a word from God. A word that speaks to you about the situation you're in or speaks to you about a greater truth or speaks to you about his will going on. I am convinced, I stand here today convinced that if you pray and do not give up, you will get a word from God or you will see what you're praying for happen. I believe it. One of those two things will happen. One of those two things will happen. And I believe that through it all, you will be closer to God than you've ever felt before. God's okay. He can handle all of your prayers. He can handle your anger. He can handle your disappointment. He can handle your frustration. He can handle it all because he made you and he knows how you are. But here's the thing. God knows us so well. Do we really know God? Do we really know God? Because, see, while Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray and not give up, amen, and he said, listen, don't give up because I'm coming again and I want to find you faithful. All right, that's the context of his parable is that he's coming again. He says, I want you to pray and not give up because I do care about you and I care about justice. But many of Jesus' stories are about who God is like. And that's so important. And here's where I want to take you this morning. Here's where I want to bring you to this place, this resting place in God's word. Is do you really know how great, how loving how amazing God is. Because if you were confident of who God really is, I'm convinced you would pray, always pray, and you would never give up. This is the verse, Zephaniah three seventeen. Please write this down. Take this as your verse. If you're ever sitting in church and wondering if God has a word from you, I'm telling you right now, this is your word. <laughs> this is your word. It's for you. God gave it to me. God gave it to me for me several years ago. And he asked me this morning, give it to the people who are here at HCC. He's asking me to give it to other people even. As I'm listening to the Lord, he's saying, give them this verse. Give them this promise. Let them know what kind of God they're praying to. Let them know what kind of God sent his son, Jesus Christ. Let them know what kind of person is with them. When you have God in your life, the prophet Zephaniah said, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Amen. Oh, it's so good. Let's do it again. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. Oh, hallelujah. That's almost enough right there that the world needs to hear. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. So can we talk for a minute, just a few minutes that we have left, about the character of God. Because I want you to be confident in your belief, in your faith, in who God is. So that when you pray to him, you'll say, I'm going to pray and not give up. Because I understand and I know that this God is, first of all, with me. God is with me. God is with you. So often we don't recognize his presence in our lives. So often we come to church. I know you came here this morning because you wanted to connect with God somehow, some way, right? And when you come to church, this is what we do. We sit here, right? And God's up there. 
God's singing, it's in the singing, it's in the preaching. I come and I feel, I feel like God's up there. And I just, or he's up above me, right? And so I just lift up my hands because I just want God to come down, right? Right? Am I right? Some of you, you want that in worship? You're here because you want that presence of God to come down. You want to feel it. You feel like you're reaching up. You feel like you're reaching out. You feel like, man, I just feel disconnected, dry, um, just some kind of way and, and during the week. But I come because I want to connect with God. Here's the brilliant, revolutionary, life-changing, life-altering, smack you on your face, kick you in your butt truth. Jesus was with you before you came in. He rode in the car with you this week. He walked in right beside you. He sat down right next to you. God is with you. God is with you and he will never leave you. God is with you and he will never leave you. He is there with you for everything. And sometimes that's more than enough, right? It's more than enough to just be with someone, right? That's there for you. I was thinking about... Um, a trip I took several years ago with my oldest son, David, who's not here. And David, I apologize if you're watching on Periscope for this story in advance. But David was about 12 years old, and we were taking a trip together to go visit my dad, who at the time lived in Arizona. And we got on the plane, and David had been on the plane when he was little, but he was a little nervous. And David was a kind of nervous, anxious kid sometimes. And we're getting on the plane, and you know, I don't know if any of you are nervous when you get on planes, but it's a common thing, right? So he's a little nervous, but he's, you know, a 12-year-old boy. So he's sitting next to me, and we're getting ready to take off, and he just kind of leans over to me and he says, Dad, can I hold your hand? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, because I loved holding my boy's hand. But there comes an age when it's not acceptable in our culture <laughs> for men to hold hands anymore. I've been in countries where it is acceptable, okay, so praise God for that. Some men hold hands all the way through their life. Our country, we don't. <laughs> and so he wants to hold my hand. I just, it, I couldn't control the plane. I wasn't flying the plane. I mean, if something happened, I couldn't even have done anything about it. But it just gave him comfort to know that he was holding his dad's hand. And yet we, when we're anxious, when we're afraid, when we're unsure, God is there to hold our hand. And he can do something about it. He does have the power. And he says, I will take your hand and I will hold you. Can you just picture God doing that for you this morning? It's a longing of our heart. God is a father, a good father, who likes to do that. That helps me understand more of who God is. For you see, I love to give my boys a hug and a kiss and pray with them and sing them songs at night. But there comes an age when they get grown, right? And that was probably the last time that I held David's hand. Now, my second son, Skyler, I mean, he's, he's a loving one. Skyler would probably still hold my hand. He would probably hold my hand, and he wouldn't even ask, and he would just do it. And then, um, and then my son, Tristan, was always, like from the time he was in a high chair, he was grabbing somebody's arm or somebody's hand. And um, I'll tell this story on, on Tristan as well because it just gives you a picture of God. So we're on a vacation, and Tristan would, like, so David would ask to hold your hand. You know, Skylar would be just like loving, just hold her hand. Tristan, it was more like unconscious. So we're walking and he just grabs my hand and he was about 11 years old. And I was like, oh man, I just love holding his hand like when he was little. But his two older brothers are walking in front of us. And all I could think about is if they turn around, they're going to give him to him. They're going to make fun of him so bad. So I'm in that moment where I'm trying to hold on as long as I can. But I want to let go before his brothers can like say anything. So I just find a moment where I just let go. And he won't even remember this story I'm sharing. Because he just did it without thinking. And when I let go, he just went on and he just did the things that he's doing. 
But that feeling, do you get what I'm saying? That feeling I have as a father of wanting to hold my son's hand or my daughter's hands and be with them is the same multiplied by infinity that God wants with you, that he wants that kind of relationship where he says, I'm with you, I'm right next to you, I'm holding your hand. Okay, or if you're a dude, I've got my arm around you. Whatever image helps you understand, okay? Do this with me. Close your eyes for just a minute. I'm telling you, this is so powerful. It don't take more than a second. Picture yourself sitting on a plane, holding God's hand. Or if you're a dude, God's hand, arm is around your hand. Just picture that for a moment. Just let that sink in. Picture Jesus holding your hand or with his arm around you. gave you 10 seconds of that, tell me that's not powerful. Tell me that's not powerful. To know that God is with you. And God being with you means that he's for you. Like he's with you in that sense of the word too. God's like, I got you. I got you. I'm with you. And I got you. What's the second thing? Well, he's a mighty warrior. He's the one who saves. He's mighty to save. He actually can do something about any problem that you have, about any situation that you're going to face. He actually is able. And again, if he doesn't take care of it for you, he'll take you through it, right? Right? He'll either take care of it or he'll take care of you, right? He'll either remove it or he'll move you through it. Does anybody know what I'm saying, right? That God is there to give you the strength to do whatever it is that comes into your life. Because he is mighty to save and there's no one else who's mighty to save. Now if you can do it in your own strength, do it because God gave you to do that. Right? Sometimes we're praying about things and God's like, I already gave you the ability to do that. Right? Am I speaking truth to anybody? Have you been praying about something and suddenly it clicks to you? God said, you can quit your job. Go ahead and do it. You don't need to pray anymore. I've given you the ability to do this. I've given you the ability to address this situation. Go because I'm with you and my power goes with you. Just do it. And then there are so many things that we can't control. So many things we can't do. And all we can do is pray. And prayer is not some just, you know, throw away, just some nice sentiment. Prayer is about being committed that God is the one who is able to do more than I could ask or imagine. That God is abundantly able to do, more than able to do anything I want. Willingly able to do whatever he wants in your life. Do you believe that of God? God is mighty. And if you know that God is with you and God is mighty with you, it's like, woo, I'm starting to feel good. Because I'm not alone. And I've got the God of the universe right by my side and on my side. And here's the one that just wrecks me and is so hard to receive that he takes great delight in you. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I pray today that if you've never known someone taking great delight in you, that God would heal you by revealing to you how much he loves you. For some people, we have parents that... Let's be honest, they don't feel like they really want to know. We have friends that, you know, they don't really want to be around us anymore. We have relationships that end because someone says, you know what, I don't delight in you anymore. In fact, you annoy me. In fact, I, don't, in fact, I really don't like you at all. And there's so much hurt and so much pain in our lives that we transfer that to our image of God. 
And we say, well, maybe not God is angry with me, or maybe we do, but God doesn't care about me. God's not interested in me. Somehow we're afraid of this angry God, of this God like a judge that doesn't care about what anybody thinks and doesn't care about our problems and doesn't care about our situations. And somehow we think that God is either angry or God is either disinterested or, or God is feeling some kind of way about us. And what we fail to believe and to receive is that God takes great delight in you. That's the word of God. That's the word of God. He takes great delight in you. I'm talking to the believers who believe. I'm talking to the ones who've received. If you receive Jesus Christ into your life, please let today be the last day that you doubt how much God loves you. If at all possible. He takes great delight in you. He loves to watch you. He loves to be with you. He loves to listen to you. He loves you like a child in a way that, let's be honest, none of us were loved perfectly. He loves us in a way that nobody else could love us. He takes great delight in us. This verse, when I read it, it said, um, he will no longer rebuke you in your love. Sometimes in the Bible you come across phrases that are difficult to translate. So people translate them all kinds of different ways. In the old versions they translated it, he would quiet you with his love, okay? Or he would, he would uh, you know, keep you silent with his love. Even in the old Spanish translations, it would say that. But then in the newer translation, it says he will no longer rebuke you. So it's trying to connect it to this narrative in the book of Zephaniah about how God had brought judgment to his people, but then he was going to end that time of judgment. So God does rebuke us. He does correct us, right? But it's that lovingness, right? Because if, if you're a doctor and you see a disease in somebody, you want to take it out, right? When you see your kid dirty and you want them cleaned up, you help them get cleaned up, right? Because you love them. God does the same thing. He has to scrub us. He has to cut things away. He has to heal us. He has to remove things from our life. He wants to bring us, okay? So that's okay as well. But I love the way the message puts it. He calms you down with his love. I love that. He calms you down with his love. And I love even better. This is one of the times where the only translation that really sings to my heart is the new Spanish translation that he will renovate you with his love. I mean, that is such a beautiful image of God's love renovating, right? And renovating includes taking down, tearing down, and building up, right? It includes stripping the paint and then repainting, right? I mean, a renovation includes all of that, right? Isn't that such a great image? That's why when I memorize this verse from now on, I'm going to be in English till I get to that line, and then that's going to be in Spanish. And then I'll go back to the last line, you know, that he rejoices over you with singing. Oh, I hope you can catch the image. We'll take it down even further. It's like... A parent holding a small child, right? Isn't that what you do? You take delight in that child. You lift that child up. And if the child is crying, if something's bothering them, what do you do? You calm them with your love, right? You feed them. You change them. You hold them. And what do you do? You sing to them. You talk to them. Can you see the image God wants you to have of him for you today? That he takes great delight in you. That he picks you up in his arms. That he speaks. He sings over you. He calms you with his love. He calms you with his love. He is renovating you. He is restoring you to that beauty as his child with his love. Amen. <laughs> there's, I, there's no more beautiful message I could give than that. That God is with his love just doing beautiful things in your life. Amen. Thank you. Any
rejoices over you with singing. It's like he wrote a song about you. How cool is that? Don't you love if the, you know, your boyfriend, girlfriend wrote you a song, if somebody wrote you a song, you know? Wouldn't that be great? People are looking at each other right now. Why don't you write me a song, you know? But no, it's just a sign of joy. It's just the joy that comes out of God's heart towards us, right? So this, literally this, friends, right? If you really believed this about God, what Zephaniah 3.17 says, would it change your prayers? Would it change how often you pray, how you pray, and would you pray without giving up because you believe in a God like this? If your prayer life is stuck, if you haven't prayed in a while, if you've got all of these things about prayer, would you, li- would you go with me today and consider maybe I need to change my mind about who God is? Maybe I need a better picture of who God is so that I can understand his great love for me, so that I can come with confidence into God's love. Oh, God wants to do a work in your life this morning. God wants to remind you of these truths. God wants to take your hand and walk with you every step of the way. God wants to do a beautiful restoration in your life, a renovation of love. Oh, there's a phrase. (laughs) A renovation of love. I just love that. A renovation of love in your life, amen. And some of you know he's already been doing it. Some of you, I I see little smiles on your face and I can feel it in your heart because God has already started that. And you're like, yes, yes, that is exactly what God is doing in my life, amen. So let's take some time to pray together. I invite you to pray. I'm going to invite you, if you'd like to come forward and kneel at the altar or come forward um, for prayer, I'm going to invite Pastor Rosalie and Mr. Brian to come up, and and if you'd like to come forward for prayer, just going to invite you to do that. Uh, We're going to continue to worship the Lord, I believe, with the song that reminds us of his goodness and of who he is.